Hello and welcome once again to Political Dharma. I'm Alan Zundell. Well, just about a week ago, Bernie Sanders published a new book. And in today's episode, I'm going to be reviewing that book. The title of the book is It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. And by the end of the book, I finished it just this morning. By the end of the book, I was angry, but not at capitalism. I was angry at Bernie Sanders. Now, the reasons for that are two, twofold. One was a minor irritation, and that comes out of the title being a misleading title, a kind of a bait and switch on the subject of capitalism. And the second one was a larger irritation, which is why Bernie doesn't provide a better justification for his strategy of working within the Democratic Party. I think a good case can be made for working within the Democratic Party. I think a good case can be making can be made for working outside of the Democratic Party. But my complaint is that Bernie does not, he's not really consistent about his position on the Democratic Party. And I will get into that a little further in the program. First of all, let me uh, start off by talking about the title. It's okay to be angry about capitalism. Now, I agree with the sentiment. It is okay to be angry about capitalism. I would also say it's okay not to be angry about capitalism if you are committed to working to go beyond capitalism. That is, anger is a motivation, but it's not the only or always the most uh, productive motivation for working against capitalism. But uh, it's not so much about the anger part of it. It's about the use of the word capitalism because immediately when you start reading the text, Bernie no longer uses the unmodified term capitalism, but he always adds an adjective in front of it. At first, it's uber-capitalism, uh, indicating a kind of hyper-capitalism. And later on, it's unfettered capitalism, indicating you know a capitalism run amok without any restraints upon it. But he's not, at least it doesn't seem it doesn't appear from reading the book that what he is complaining about is the system of capitalism itself. He never provides in the book or elsewhere, to my knowledge, a critique of capitalist forms of production. What he's about is more trying to regulate capitalism and then transfer some of the wealth created by capitalism to ordinary people through various forms. Nothing wrong with that. If that's the best we can get, great. But Personally, I think there are problems with capitalism and we need to go beyond that. So what does he mean when he says uber capitalism or unfettered capitalism? What I did hear him say on a podcast last night that I was listening to, he did an interview with someone from the British Broadcasting Corporation and the interviewer asked him point blank, are you making a distinction between uber capitalism and capitalism? Bernie said, yeah, that's right. Not in exactly those words, but he agreed with man that he was not attacking capitalism. He is attacking a particular form of capitalism, which is the one we are saddled with right now. And I have no problem with him being against that form of capitalism. I just wish he would be more clear about what exactly he's against. All right. So let me take one of the quotes from his book regarding um, profits. He says, there is nothing wrong with a business or entrepreneur making a profit. There is something profoundly wrong, however, when a massive corporation, when massive corporations controlled by the wealthiest people on earth lie, cheat, 
bribe, and steal in order to make profits that are funded by the destruction of our lives, our environment, and our democracy. I can agree with that sentiment, but what I would ask Bernie is, what if corporations are not lying or stealing or bribing or any of the rest of those moral failings, but they're simply following the logic of profit-seeking, and in the process, they also destroy our lives, our environment, our democracy. Um, what about that? Is that okay? Because it often he often presents it as a moral failing of particular capitalists that they are too greedy, they are immoral, they don't have uh, they have contempt for other people. Uh, he he seems to see this as a moral problem, not a systematic problem. Even though he often says we need uh, to look at the system, we need uh, a systematic response to this. We need a systematic change. But he never he never really talks about systems that much, other than the political system. He gets into that, but not the economic system. So my first irritation is just that he is setting you up to think. And he set me up to think maybe he's actually going to go beyond his usual critique to talk about capitalism as a system and present a critique of some sort of it. And he doesn't do that. He's just talking about the system of capitalism that we currently have. And essentially, let's go back to New Deal days when there were regulations on the economy and there was a lot of transfer programs. And let's go back to that again. If that's the best we could get, I'm all for it. I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think it really solves the problem uh, in the long term. Um, so that's my minor irritation with Bernie. Before I get into the major irritation on his strategy working within the Democratic Party, though, let me give you a brief overview of the book. Like a lot of books written by politicians, it's kind of a mishmash of things, of stories from his various political battles in his presidential campaigns of 2016 and 2020, and in his political ba uh, battles in the Congress in the last few years, like over the um, Build Back Better bill and other bills like that, uh, the problems he had with conservative Democrats and with Joe Biden not keeping his word, or not Joe Biden so much as the, uh, the leader of the House Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, and the leader of the Senate Democrats, Chuck Schumer, promising they would not bring forward an infrastructure bill, a very modest infrastructure bill, compared to the Build Back better bill without also having a vote on build back better they didn't do that um so it's a mishmash of his political battles a lot of them in which he recounts his failures and how the democratic party uh, betrayed him or leading people in the democratic party at least i don't want to paint everybody with that brush but it's dominated by establishment democrats who betrayed him and undercut him both in his campaigns for president and in his legislative uh, struggles in the Congress as a senator. And he's um, combining that stories of his battles with campaign speech type material where he's recounting all the problems in our society that are so horrible and how they're horrible. That's a good thing to get people riled up. If you're already aware of this, which I've been aware of a lot of these problems for decades. So it doesn't come as a surprise for me. So it's not like likely to make me angry all over again when I've been angry periodically throughout my life over this. And I, you know, you can't be angry all the time. What you got to do is commit yourself to doing something about it, right? Uh, so he um, combines that with all these uh, 
campaign speech type complaints by society, and then a very long policy platform. And I mean a long policy platform of things he'd like to see done. Uh, the leading ones, you'll know, some of them I very much agree with, like the Medicare for All and uh, the Green New Deal. I think those are the two most important prior priorities we should have in trying to move toward a better society. First of all, Medicare for All, if done in the way he would like it to be, would be a direct benefit to people, to ordinary people in ways that they could see in their lives. And it would give them greater confidence that the government is able to do things to help them and is not just an obstacle to things that would help them as it appears to be now and in reality often is true now. So taking health insurance out of the commodity field where you know it's based on your ability to pay um, and into the realm of a public good where every resident of the United States has a right to decent health care is a very major and good step. Green New Deal, similar kind of thing. We got to address climate change by the government mobilizing around a lot of resources to invest in renewable energy and new energy grids and all these all these ways of trying to address the climate crisis. We have to address it or our, our goose is already cooked. I mean, we're beyond the point of no return. All we can do now is to try to keep it from getting worse and worse. We don't want to go from our goose being cooked to our goose being burnt to a crisp, uh, is what I would say about that. So um, those two things are great. But he, he also has a number of other proposals. I'm not necessarily against them. Things like uh, um, guaranteed jobs program, although I think the guaranteed part is not very practical. Jobs programs are fine. Uh, free tuition at colleges, uh, child care tax credit. Um, you know the litany. There's there's a whole host of them that he comes up with. He even goes way beyond those in listing these various things that we could do to say things like we need to update the U.S. Constitution in ways that rethink U.S. Senate and the Supreme Court. Now, that's a pretty big change, right? I think you'd agree with me. Again, not that I'd oppose it necessarily, but uh, it's a big change. He's listing a lot of things and some very big changes in his policy platform. I would like to see some priorities set. I would agree with the priorities around the um, Medicare for All and the Green New Deal. I'd also like to see shortly behind that some talk, as, as long as we're talking about aspirations for the future, you know, and long-term goals, I would like to see more talk about a universal basic income and a system of public banking to mobilize investment for social purposes. Those are a couple of things. And the third thing that I'd like to see a lot more of is talk about workers' control of the enterprises that they work in. Now here, he did surprise me by moving a little bit closer to uh, positions that I hold, at least in a way that was more obvious to me. I've read all his books and I've heard a, a number of his speeches. I've been aware of Bernie Sanders. He's been on my radar for decades as the only socialist in the United States Congress since around 1990-something. Uh, so I was very aware of him as a political science professor teaching American government, I always use that little factoid, you know, that we got so many Democrats, so many Republicans, and, and a couple of independents, one of whom is actually a socialist, says he's a socialist. Uh, at any rate, the line is kind of thin between social democracy, democratic socialism, and a socialism that really addresses the systematic problems with capitalism, which I don't think he does. So this long, long policy platform in, in ways, and, and two things I was looking at in this book, two things I wanted to 
see if he did is number one, see if he moves at all in the direction of things I think are important. And the one area where he did that was in workers' ownership. He talked about that extensively in one chapter using some of the same illustrations I've used when I talk about it, such as employee stock ownership plans, which we've had in the United States for a number of years, or the Mondragon Worker Cooperative Complex that's up in the Basque area of Spain, been there for decades, uh, quite impressive in a number of ways as sort of models of what could be only I would uh, dis dissent from him in one way. He talks about worker ownership, you know, in, in other places, he talks about giving workers more power over their lives, putting workers on the boards of corporations, um, main, strengthening the rights to organize unions and unions uh, to be able to bargain collectively. Again, those are things I all agree with. And I think those things could lead toward more worker control in the long term, stronger unions, putting workers on the boards of corporations, good things if long-term aspirations. But worker ownership, I just think is the wrong label to use on it because it connects the control of the workplace to ownership. Now that's a capitalist concept that somehow it is a private property right to control the work of other people because you provided the fin financing for it, therefore you get to say what happens. I don't think there's a logical connection there. I don't think your control over finances or what that finance pays for in terms of property gives you any right to control other human beings when they're doing their work, when they're actually engaged in productive work. So minor disagreement there, maybe a nomenclature or conceptualization, but he's moving in the direction I like to see. He does say that he's been interested in this since way back in the 1980s when there was a movement to um, create employee stock ownership plans and take over the abandoned factories in the industrial belt in the United States as they were closing down, which is the same time I got interested in the concept in the 1980s. I became aware that there were movements to have workers own and control some of these declining uh, or abandoned factories. Um, looked into it quite a bit and saw a number of problems with that. But we got into the same time, only I don't really remember him talking about it very much before. Maybe it was there in his books and I didn't, it, it wasn't emphasized, so I didn't remember it. Or he says he talked about it in his 2020 presidential campaign. I don't remember that. Of course, I didn't hear all of his speeches or read his entire platform. But this was a welcome surprise to me. I did think moving in the direction of more workers control over the workplace is a key idea that I would like to see highlighted. And he did highlight in this book. So there I, I was happy. I was happy that he was highlighting something that I think is important. And that would be on my agenda of the most important things to talk about and make people think about. So kudos to Bernie for that much. Now let's get into the... Um, the final part of it. What is his strategy for advancing this long litany of ideas, good or, you know, sort of good, in my opinion. Uh, but what is the strategy for doing that? How are we going to go about that when we have a political system that blocks efforts at change? And there is what he talks about, the political system. He talks about that a lot more than the economic system. He talks about how uh, the very rich, the you know, billionaires, people have hundreds of billions. He often says how the three wealthiest individuals in America have more wealth than the bottom 50% of America does, of American citizens do. Uh, 
that sounds about right to me, but I mean, not right in moral or justice sense, but right in a realistic sense of what is going on. And he talks about how these folks uh, can control the political system. They've corrupted the political system with their political campaign uh, donations and their lobbyists and how the Democratic Party has turned toward that. And the Democratic establishment has become very dependent on those big donors, no longer tries to organize the working class. And it's his contention that the strategy we need is to organize um, workers, help them with their strikes and the union organizing, get Democrats, get people involved in political campaigns, political campaigns, get candidates who are from the working class to run for office, train them in how to do that, and run campaigns more along the lines that he did. Lots of small donations, lots of grassroots participation, not dependence on big corporate donors, uh, billionaires, and uh, corporations. So moving in that direction, and that's what he talks about. But this, he also says repeatedly how the Democratic Party blocks that and is against that. Now, what is his defense for staying within the Democratic Party? Let me um, give you a quote from chapter 10, which I think is the last chapter of the book. It's way near the end where he's talking about the strategy part of this. And he says how this uh, the political people are looking for a political alternative to uber capitalism, right? And he says it's the job of progressives to demand that the Democratic Party be that alternative. It's the job of progressives to have the Democratic Party to make it that alternative. Now, progressive means that you have an agenda that's similar to Bernie's, that you don't really want to change capitalism, you just want to modify it. Now, that makes sense to me. How does he defend the uh, the call towards participating in the Democratic Party, trying to take it over? Uh, what what how do, how does he say encourage us to do that in the face of all the obstacles that are presented to us? Say rather than trying to um, work outside the Democratic Party in a third party of some kind or as independents or changing the voting system to make it more like a parliamentary system or with ranked choice voting or star voting or open primaries or any one of a number of ideas for mitigating the effects of the two-party system. He doesn't even pick up on ranked choice voting, which is pretty well known by now and spreading among Democrats. So what, what does he say? He says, I am not wedded to a two-party system. Okay, good. He's not wedded to it. And ask the question, could the system change in the foreseeable future? His answer is, maybe, but not tomorrow. Therefore, <laughs> we have to work within the two-party system. Now I'm laughing because of the inconsistency here when he presents a whole long litany of policy ideas that are never going to happen tomorrow. And most of them are not going to happen in the immediate future or even the near-term future. I mean, updating the Constitution, changing the composition of the, the Congress, you know, doing something about the Senate, restricting the Supreme Court in some way, those, those are big lifts. Why is that any different than attempts to change the two-party system? I don't get it, Bernie. I don't get it. What is your attachment to the Democratic Party such that you can't treat it the same as any other problem in the United States and say, we have to envision a solution to this. We have to envision an alternative and go beyond it. Why can't you do that when you can do it with every 
other aspect of social ills that we're dealing with. When it comes right to the heart of it, the two-party system is what is blocking all of these things you'd like to see happen. We are stuck with two parties, both corrupted by money, and very little opportunity to move around it. Why not address that problem along with the ones that you're trying to get to, right? That seems like the first step to me. That seems like the first essential step to getting these things happening. I, you got to get some competition to the two-party system. If you want to move the Democratic Party, it has to have competition from something that adopts your agenda, some other party that adopts your agenda and has a realistic chance of gaining voter support. It's the only way to change the Democratic Party is to have opposition to that party from someone other than the Republicans. That needs to be addressed. Now, the other thing that I've always found inconsistent about Bernie's take on the Democratic Party, is he works with Democrats and he insists that that's the optimal strategy at this point in time, yet he does not join the Democratic Party. That doesn't make much sense to me unless you concede that the label Democrat is in many respects poison to voters. And he acknowledges that uh, in a kind of sideways way by saying how many people are dissatisfied with the Democrats because they have not got the back of working people. They have not made significant changes in their uh, financial insecurity or any other major problems that they're dealing with. And they really don't trust them. They think they're bought off by big donors and corporations. So they turn to the Republicans as an alternative, just, you know, punish, I guess, the Democratic Party, but they, they don't have good associations with it. So that's why you don't use the label, I am guessing, yet you want people to work within the Democratic Party. And you have trouble in the primaries because so many Democrats don't regard you as a real Democrat because you're not willing to commit yourself to the party. How does that add up? How is it that you want people to work within the Democratic Party, but you're not willing to join the Democratic Party so you can work inside of it they allow you to work with them as long as you don't go too far. And you have recounted numerous ways, both in your presidential campaigns and in your legislative battles, how the Democratic establishment blocks you. So why, why such attachment to the two-party system in the Democratic Party? You say you're not wedded to it, but I don't see you talking about how to change that or how to get beyond that. Not a very original critique, maybe, but that is my critique. So overall in this book, what do I think about it? If you need reminders of all the good ideas on the progressive end of the spectrum, he's got a lot to say. Uh, he does recount the recent years of uh, what battles going on in Congress, kind of a good you know, reminder of what actually happened in those bills with the, uh, first there was the American Rescue Plan, and then there was the Build Back Better bill, and how that, you know, Kirsten Cinema, senator from Arizona, and Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, both of them Democrats, at least in name, unlike Bernie, uh, blocked the, uh, the Build Back Better bill and watered it down considerably, and how we ended up with a much, um, much reduced infrastructure bill that I've heard is does a lot for the environment, but unfortunately, it does a lot against the environment at the same time. So can't get that terribly enthused about it. Um, so if you want to rehash those battles and you like 
learning about some, you know, inside politics that you may not have been paying a lot of attention to. It, it kind of recapsulates what happened. You could have got that out of the news reports at the time if you were following it. Um, his policy ideas are good. You know, maybe some new ideas for you there, maybe ideas that people want to pick up and run with, some uh, ideas that are not too big of a lift that, you know, you want to advance in some way. Um, other than that, I don't know, Bernie, where are you going to go from here? I'm really not following your logic. I'm not that sanguine about the prospects for working within a Democratic Party. I, I think I'll stick to the idea of trying to form an independent party of some kind or, you know, joining an independent group that's not officially, uh, I mean, here's the problem. Here's the problem in a nutshell. When Bernie Sanders ran those two campaigns, he got a lot of people mobilized, right? Now, where are those people going to go to make a difference? How do you organize people to sustain that energy and enthusiasm and, and translate it into a commitment to continual work together to make something happen. How do you do that? You got to move them into an organization of some kind. What organization is that? The only one he presents to us is the Democratic Party, which in a lot of ways seems like a dead end to people. People have tried it. They're frustrated with it. They want a different path forward. So in a nutshell, Bernie, you got a movement started, but you don't know where to take it. You're not defending your idea about working in the Democratic Party very well. I would like to see a stronger defense of that position, one that does not rely on the lame excuse that we can't change it tomorrow, therefore we have to work with it. When everything else, you've already heard me say this, I don't need to repeat it. Okay, so that is my review of Bernie Sanders' new book called uh, It's Okay to Be Angry at Capitalism. I hope it's okay to be angry at Bernie Sanders. My anger doesn't last long. I found that uh, long-term anger, it's, it's a motivator initially to get active, but I think over the long haul, it's not gonna do you very well. Here's, here's my little moral lesson <laughs> from my life. Anger is not gonna do it over the long haul. What you really need is committed compassion, compassion for other people, caring about how other people are suffering and struggling, and then committing yourself to the work that needs to be done to do that to the best of your judgment. So thank you, Bernie, for giving us your best judgment. Keep working on it. I will keep working on it. I hope the rest of you keep working on it. If you got things to say to me in response to this video, please do put them on wherever I have opportunities to talk back to me. You can go to my website, politicaldharma.com. It'll lead you to links for my podcast, for my YouTube channel, for my Facebook page. Go to any of those places if you wanna keep listening. I hope you do. Like, share, subscribe, all that stuff helps reach a larger audience, helps me with this podcast. If you think there's some value in it, please get involved in helping me move this forward um, and do talk back to me. Give me something to think about. Give me something to respond to. Uh, that's it for this week, Political Dharma with Alan Zundell. And our opening and closing music is compliments of Patty Rose and Joey Helpish. Thanks for listening. I see the chains are breaking We gained our focus, the moves we're making We'll prove to determine our self-worth As a passenger on this vehicle earth